choose your influence. Thank you for those who shared. Thank you for those who, um, who spoke to us today. Just as an introduction to what I'm saying or just to, to link some of those things together. Um, the first person who shared was um, Graham. And Graham shared on bacteria. The bacteria on your cell phone, wherever you go, you can pick up bad things. When Jesus actually spoke to us in the, in the word of God, he says that the kingdom of heaven is, or the kingdom of God is like, like um, yeast that goes into the lump and then it goes through and influences the whole lump, changes the whole lump. There's two ways you can view that. You can, you can take your light into the darkness and the darkness can influence you. Or you can take your light into the darkness and you can influence the darkness. You really have to make a choice about why you're getting involved in the things that you're getting involved with. If you're going into the world to party in the world for the world's sake, well then you're probably going to pick up some bugs on the way. But if you're going into the world to meet with people, to cross the street, to reach out to people who don't know Jesus, who think that parting is the way that they can, then you're going to find out you can influence them, you can influence them with the gospel of light. You choose your influence. When David was speaking to us, and he's speaking to us about eating Jesus or coming here to have this time where we feed on Jesus. The reason why we feed is because we're hungry and the reason why we feed is because we want to get strength out because we want to take that light out to others to feed others. God has called us to be feeders. Feeders of the word of God. If there's a famine of the word of God in the land, it's the famine of the word of God in us. That's causing the problem because we are the vessels of the bread to take it to the people. So we are to influence them with the word of God. So the idea is choose your influence. Either you're going to get hungry because you're not feeding and you're looking for some nourishment and refreshment elsewhere or you're going to take your God and your word and you're going to go into the highways and the byways and you're going to bring bread to the hungry. Feed those who are starving and looking for a meal. And the thing that will stop you from doing that is fear. A spirit of fear will stop you from doing that because it will try and tell you you can't do it because they'll somehow not like you. So it's all linked today. The Holy Spirit has chosen to link it all today. And the reason he's chosen to link it all is because he's really desirous that this church becomes a light in a dark place. That this family becomes an influence in the world. He's not interested in this church being just another church that runs another program that just fills the pews for a Sunday just to do its Sunday thing. God has got his hand on this place. He is speaking to us very clearly because he wants us as a people to take notice and to become an influence in the world today. So today I'm going to talk about choosing your influence. Choose your influence. I'm going to read a passage of scripture. We're going to deal with this passage of scripture in, in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, I apologize to uh, the, the African. I, I didn't have time to put the little African uh, version there, but it's Wa Efeso, I think it is. Wa Efeso, so that's where we're in. Read with me these words, and you can actually read along with me and use it verb, verbally. You can, I can't actually do that side on, can I? 
not with that. So I'll look this way. Read these words with me, with your voice. Okay? All together now. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God, that the Lord... Sorry, let's start that again. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his inglorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparatively great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in in the right hands in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head of every, over everything in the, for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Choose your influence. We know that God lives in this place by his spirit because God lives in you by his spirit. And when you come together, he comes together and he's here with us. We know that he's here and he's the head over everything. That means he is looking out over everything. He is in control of everything and he is more powerful than you can ever imagine. He enjoys incredible control in your lives if you allow him to do that. You've got to get yourself into a situation where you let him do the work he wants to do through you. You've got to work out your salvation with fearing and trembling, but it's God who is at work within you to work and to will for his good purpose. And so God is wanting to work with us. We need to choose our influence. Now, in the book of Hebrews, there's a passage of scripture that shows me something about the influence that you can have on people. You can have influence on me as a pastor if you choose. It says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They give watch over you as men who must give an account. It says this, obey them so that, you, that their work will be a joy, not a burden, so that you will, that would be of no advantage to you. So when you see the purple, it's talking about influence. He says, you know, when we're talking in... And I know it sounds like, you know, Mark is saying you've got to obey him. Yeah, well, the Bible says obey your leaders. And so if it says obey your mum and dad... You have to obey your mum and dad. That's what the scripture says. If it says obey your church leaders, you should obey your church leaders too. And I know that doesn't sound nice in our society and our ideas. And it's not like I'm lording it over you with a big rule of uh, stick saying you obey me. But a, if you're in sinning and I'm saying, well, you know, don't do that, you should listen to what I'm saying because the Holy Spirit's probably already told you not to do it as well. And so given that the Holy Spirit and I are on the same side, we ought to all work together. He says, you can influence this whole arrangement. You can make my life a real misery. It's true. You can just run away and do your own things. You can fight and scrubble amongst each other. You can backbite and you can point the finger and you poke the stick and you can slander and malander. And I'll still love you because I have to because I'm your pastor. I've got to love you. 
I've got to try and help you. I've got to try and get you out of that. But it makes my life really difficult. I mean, they might not care about that, but I care about that. I mean, I have to wake up at night time and I'll probably have to change your nappies because you're still acting like a child. I'll have to breastfeed you in the middle of the night because you're still like a baby. Rather than have you as an adult walking in an adult way, I'll have to be a parent again to try and father you through that time again. It makes it, you can influence my life. Your behavior influences me. It influences Liz. It influences everybody else in this place you influence people everybody look to the person beside you and say I can influence you now the other person say it back I can influence you well, it's, uh, it's kind of mad to think that you can't I mean the whole world knows that it's all under influence when you go and turn on the TV the TV is all about influence advertisement is all about dropping into your mind beliefs and ideas that can influence you to buy a certain product it's all about influence and Jesus wants you to know that you have a great influence in the world you can influence and if you don't think you can influence you are losing and missing something very important in your life you are an influence whether you like it or not you are either an influence for good or you're an influence for evil I am either an influence for good or I'm an influence for the devil. You have to choose your influence. You have to choose how you act. You have to choose the influence that you will make. You have to choose that, friends. It's just not going to happen. You have to make a choice in your life that you want to be an influence for God, not an influence for the devil. And that has some consequences when you're making that choice. In Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 and Galatians 3 verses 1, oh sorry, Galatians 1 chapter verse 6 and Galatians 3 verse 1, Paul tells you about the Galatians, these guys influenced him. I am astonished, he says, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Well, you know, he's upset. The Galatians have ever upset him. He's astonished that they are abandoning. You know, he spent all that time going to Galatia, all that time preaching to them, all that time laying down foundations. He spent himself on these people, completely poured himself out for these people, and he is now astonished that they are turning away from it. They're influencing him. In the verse 1 in chapter 3, he says, You foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus was clearly betrayed, crucified. He's now chastising. He says, why are you so foolish? He's being influenced by their foolishness. Christian folks influencing Paul. It wasn't all the... Look at Corinthians, the book of Corinthians. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you, that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And then he says, My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Boy, there were quarrels in that church, all right. And their quarreling and fighting and bickering amongst them one another had now reached the ears of Paul. He had heard about it through Chloe's household. People had come and visited him and said, you know what, that church in Corinth that you started, man, they can't stop fighting each other. And they influenced him. So much so he wrote a whole book trying to fix it all up. Went through, you go through the book of Corinthians and he just goes from one problem to another problem, trying to fix it all up. He is so 
He's no, he's not abandoned them because they're wobbly on their feet. He's now committing himself to do something. And I'm glad that they had some wobbles because we can learn a lot about what's going on in the church by looking and reading the book of Corinthians. But Paul's attitude was influenced towards the Corinthians because of their lives. You can influence me. You can influence other people. You have the power to influence. So when we get to this passage of scripture in in Ephesians, we have a different attitude coming from Paul. And I want you to focus on this now because these people are somewhat different to the Galatians and these people are somewhat different to the Corinthians. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love of all the saints, he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. So now he's heard it. He's heard that they are men and women of faith. They are men and women of faith and faithfulness and trustworthiness and they know what God says and they love each other. They love all the saints. He's heard that and it's influenced him. And it influenced him in such a way that he says, I keep asking God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he he gives up this great prayer, which is a beautiful prayer for their lives because they've influenced him. He's looked at their lives and they've influenced him. Now, I want you to... Think about this. How is your faith and how is your love? Paul heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus and he heard about their love for all the others. Without a doubt, faith and love are very strong denominators within the church. You've got to have belief in a church situation. We as Christians must believe and we must have exercise a strong and robust mature faith. Our doctrines, the things that we teach, are considered to be called the faith. And how we live our life in accordance with those doctrines is our faithfulness to the word or to the doctrine. Our love for Jesus is seen to be an attitude of faithfulness in relationship. And when we are faithless toward him, he calls us adulterers. So he looks at us and he's looking for faith. And he's looking for love too. Love is a, an incredibly important component in a fellowship. This church, this Ephesians church that Paul was talking to here, had both of those things rounded off really well. They had incredible faith and they had incredible love for each other. So much so that it came back to Paul through and via the channels that these people that you planted in Ephesus, these people have incredible faith in Jesus Christ and they have this incredible love. They became a church known for their ubiquitous love for one another. That means it was love. They loved everybody. They just loved their, their each other. There weren't fightings like it was in the Corinthians church. They weren't beguiled by false doctrines like they were in the Galatians church. These people, they had good faith, good doctrine, and they had good love. They influenced everybody around them, and the influence spread so much so that Paul got to hear about it. It came back to Paul's ears. Now that's an important lesson for us. We can learn some things about this. Is your faith or faithlessness always has an influence on others. Your faith or your faithfulness always has an influence on others. And your love or your selfishness always have an influence on others. You think about it, the last time you expressed a lack of faith, you thought you were just expressing that for yourself. No, you are a vessel that communicates, you are a vessel that influences, and as soon as you express something, you will influence somebody around you. Uh, 
the analogy of the body is the only way that you can really truly understand. Stand up. Yes, you, you little one. Stand up, princess. Come over here. Now, you see, this is a body, a many-parted body. Her name is Onella. She's very beautiful. She is an African princess. Come from a great tribe somewhere, haven't you? Whatever. <laughs> now, she's made up of many parts. She has lovely red toenails, nice shiny feet, cute legs, nice arms, and a cute face. All of those parts are all connected together. Could she do out with some, you know, she would still be on Ella without her big toe, wouldn't she? Of course she would. I mean, if she had an accident and her toe dropped off, she would still be on Ella without a big toe. But listen, if I sit down there, I'm going to take your toe off. It, it's not going to hurt too much, I don't think. Have you, can you get to my bag? There's some things in my bag I need. So keys. And would, you, would you like to get the keys for me, please? I have a thing in there that I need for the, the removal of the toe. That's the one, yeah. I've got one of these on here. Okay, now just hold it there. No, be not afraid. Do not worry. It won't take very long. Now, what, you, remember, you don't have fear anymore, do you? It's all gone. <laughs> okay, so this won't matter. Now, why are we having a squirming situation happening here? Why, is it, why, why can't you handle the fact that I'm going to chop off her big toe? What is the problem with that? Because her big toe has a direct influence on the rest of her. But not only on the rest of her, because you know she's going to scream a lot and it's going to make a lot of blood on the floor, but you're going to have to watch it. That's going to affect you. That influence is going to have you going, I'm going to be sick as I'm, ch- as I'm hacking her toe off. Isn't that right? You know, I won't do that then. You, I think you got the point. You have an influence on other people. Thank you. You can sit down on your seat. Thank God that you never lost your toe. We are connected. Whether it is physically closely connected and intimately connected because it's somebody who's very close to us or whether it's on a broader we are an influence on people around us. And everything we do has an influence either for good or for evil. You have to choose your influence. Here's the influence of faithlessness or no faith. Remember Jesus is in the boat. And the disciples says, Jesus is asleep on the cushion. Well, what would that communicate to you? If Jesus is an influence, what would that communicate? If he's asleep with his head on a cushion in a boat in the middle of a storm, what would that communicate? No fear. He's not worried about it. And then all of a sudden, the other disciples, well, they've got together and they've had a little conference about this, uh, this thing that's happening. Jesus is obviously unaware of it. He doesn't know what's going on. You might have to shift, otherwise you'll drop over. Yeah, yeah, he obviously doesn't know what's going on. You know, he, he's asleep. So we, we have to send up a party and wake him up and let him know that we are going to perish. The raves are coming in. We've been in these storms before. It's all going to wash us out into the deep, deep blue. So they wake Jesus up. And Jesus looks at them and he says these words. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So they had no faith in Jesus' ability. They had no concept of who Jesus was. And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. That was after he quieted everything down. Who is this? You see, their lives influenced each other to panic. 
Jesus influenced them towards faith. You're going to influence somebody in your life. What sort of influence are you going to be? Here's the influence of worry. Little faith. We talked about that today. You know, Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 6. He says, you know, don't worry. Don't be anxious about what you wear or what you eat or what clothes you have on. And what was he? didn't say about houses, did he? Don't worry about the house that you're going to live in because it wasn't... It says clothes and food. As though those are the only thing that you really have to be anxious about, you know. Don't worry about the house. The house is neither here nor there. Clothes and food. You're worried about clothes and food. And he says... He tells them how God is and how God provides everything for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. And he shows them through the parable of, of, uh, of creation how God is faithful, a faithful providing father. And then he says to them, you know what? Are you of little faith? Not no faith, but little faith. If you're anxious and you are, you have little faith. So where we're brought to is we're brought to a place where we've got to consider... What noise am I making? My life is a vibration of some sense. I'm vibrating and making a movement here. But what sort of vibration am I making? Am I making a negative move or am I making a positive one? Am I making something that says, don't have faith in God, fear when any calamity comes upon you? Or am I making a bold declaration, like this man's declaration? This great faith that this man has, he's a centurion, he's not even a Jew, he's a Roman centurion. He's got armies and his servant is sick at home and he's, he says, you know, I'm caring about my servant. The centurion cared about it. He says, comes to Jesus because he knows Jesus has the ability to heal him. And he says, Jesus, come, my servant lies at home paralyzed in terrible suffering. And Jesus says, oh, well, I'll come. Now this man starts to shake. He starts to influence Jesus because your life is an influence. You know, you influence God, you can excite his happiness or you can excite his wrath. You influence God. You think you can't influence? Don't worry, you influence. You influence people around you and you influence God. He starts to influence Jesus. He says, I'm a man under authority. I say to this one, come and to this one go and they do it. He says, you just speak the word and my servant will be healed. You just say it. You don't have to come. You don't have to walk that distance. You just speak the word. I know what authority looks like. You got authority. You can, you can make that happen from where you are standing. Jesus looks and he goes, "Woo! that's a different wrinkle. I've, I've not heard anything like that, even from anybody in the Jewish. He influences me. This is great faith. This man influenced Jesus and we get to hear about it because he he commends this man for his great faith. When Jesus heard that he was astonished and he said to the following, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel who has such great faith. How did Jesus get so influenced? Because man decided to put his head together and start to think about godly things. And the Holy Spirit let this man know that Jesus had the power to speak the word. He was bold enough to stand at Jesus and said, don't you trouble yourself to come to my place. That's a problem for the Jews already. Don't you worry about that. He says, I'll tell you what, you just say it, it'll happen. And that influenced God. Did you know that? That you can get down and influence God? If he hears you 
complaining and grumbling all day. I'm so frightened. I'm so scared. And he tells you from his word that you're, you're okay. He's with you. He's going to look after you. And you just go away. And I don't know whether I believe that. I'm so scared and I'm so frightened. What's going to happen? You're influencing him. He looks at you. Will you stop that? Have you ever heard a whinging child? What do you feel like doing with a child who whinges continuously? I want, I want, give me, give me, give me, I want, I want. Will you be quiet? You're not having that. You can't have it. We, we, I'll give it to you when you get home. No, I want it now. I want, I want it now. I'm in the shopping center. I can see the lollies and I want them now. What do you do with a child who just continuously whinges and complains? I provide your food. I provide the table on which you sit at. I will look after you and give you good, healthy vegetables. You do not lead. The, I want lollies. I want lollies now. You are, good. you are influencing me. There is an itch in my hand and there's a seat on which I want to apply it to. You, you understand, even if you're a child, you influence. The choice is, what will you influence? And you will influence God by your attitude. In the church at Ephesus, individuals expressed faith. They influenced others until the whole body was known for its faith. They just vibrated amongst each other, believed each other, They just got together and said, God is able. We are a people who believe that God is able. We are a people who believe that God can and God will if we just ask him. Let's believe that together. They all vibrated together and everybody believed that God was able. And it noised abroad that this place, these people believed that God was able. That was part of what their identity was like. There's a lesson in this for our community. God is looking for a group of people who become noisy in their faith with regard to Jesus. You know, this is not about you, an individual. Ben, I'm not talking to you as an individual now. Your life as an individual will determine how you live individually. But your life corporately determines how this body lives corporately. Do you understand that? How Ben lives and acts amongst you actually involves you in some mystical way by inciting within you a desire to be like him or to not be like him. How you act amongst your brothers and sisters in a family determines how you will be accepted in the family. So what are you like in the family, a dolphin? What is it like being in the family? Are you the noisy one? Are you the one who says, well, I'm just going to talk because it's quiet now. And I'm going to talk and talk and talk. And will that affect other people? Does it affect other people? Does it? Oh, you think so. But that's half the fun, isn't it, when you're in a family? Yet everything that we do when we're in a family affects other people. Everything that we do. Influences in some way or other. These people were faithful because they believed, they knew that that, uh, the desire and the ability of Jesus, they knew that they could bring their needs to Jesus, they knew that they could experience the ability of Jesus and they knew that the words of Jesus were true and they walked in faith believing those words. That's what those 
that, that man is centurion you. He knew Jesus had the ability. He knew that he could bring his needs to Jesus. He knew that he would experience Jesus' ability. And he knew the, Jew, the words of Jesus were true. And he lived and walked away believing that Jesus had touched that man, even though he hadn't seen the healing take place. That's what we do. That's why we pray. That's why we pray. Some people say, well, why do you have a prayer time right in the middle of the service? Smack bang in the middle of the meeting. Like you sing some songs and then you stop. And then, everyone, let's have some time of prayer together. I mean, no. every other church that I go to, they sing some songs. They have advertisements in the middle of what the, what's coming up for the rest of the week. And then they get on to the man of power for the hour. He's the man who preaches it. And, and then they have an older call at the end sometimes. You know, so... Why do you have where the advertisement's right in the middle where we should be learning about what's going on in the week in the program? Why do you have prayer time? Because that's my advertisement. What I'm trying to tell you is the central core of this church is a faith-believing church that we can come to Jesus and Jesus will meet with us here at this place. That's the center of our meeting. That's the center of the function of this church. We believe that God wants us to enter the throne room of God boldly and to ask for our needs to be met. And we believe that center right in the middle of our church service is the proper time to have that. That's why we do it. We don't believe our program is the centre here. We believe that Jesus is the centre here. We don't believe that what we're doing during the week matters very much. We believe that what Jesus done here, does here when we pray for one another matters a whole lot. So that's why we put it in the centre and that's why we protect it. That's why we say, don't bring your advertisements here and stand up in the middle of the church and say, I've got an advertisement because probably you'll be told no. Why? Because Jesus, this is his time to advertise his presence. That's our thing. If you didn't know, you do now. That's what I believe. That's why it's enshrined in the middle of our service. We have prayer in the middle of our service because we want to be known as a time of people who pray and seek God to touch us and minister to us in that time. It's important for him and it's important to us. And I know that that influences him because he answers our prayers and I know it influences us because he blesses us with his presence right here at this time. Amen? Listen. I'm telling you how it is with us. There's a warning, though, in the passage of Scripture. You know, this uh, chapter, Luke chapter 18, it's all about prayer. It talks about a, a woman who's going to an unjudged judge, and he, she's making her request to the judge, and the judge, is the, the judge is just ignoring her and putting her to the side. But she continues on and on and on. She goes back day after day after day, and wears this judge down so much the guy says oh look will you stop coming will you stop coming I can't stand it I, I, you are so influencing me so influencing oh, you know what give her what she wants because I can't stand she's coming so often so, oh, well, you, just why don't you run a prayer time once a month why don't you run a prayer time just once every so often when the needs are apparent why do you do it every week? Because, because that's the picture that Jesus said he wanted us. He said, come every, so persistent, so persistent, so that God will say, oh, goodness me. Oh, you better deal with those needs because if you don't start dealing with those needs, they're going to keep on, keep on keeping on until we do. And then he makes a very interesting statement right at the end of that passage of Scripture. You know what he says? He says these words. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, what has that to do with prayer? 
When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know what it is? It's simply we get so absorbed with ourselves and our program. We get so absorbed with what we're doing and how we're doing it. Stop thinking about the presence of God in our midst. We stop thinking about asking God for his help. We start thinking that we can do everything ourselves just for some good fancy teaching. And we forget that God is present here wanting to be acknowledged as the father of this family. And that when it gets through the whole church, you get the whole church just doing their own thing without God. No faith needed. We got our program sorted. Faith becomes something very personal for you. But it's not a corporate thing, which your body is saying. Now we're saying as a body, come, let's pray, let's seek God, let's bring our needs before God, let's ask God to minister to our needs here. We come and we do that every week and say, oh, this is so boring. No, it's not boring. Get involved with it because God's visiting us right now with his presence to heal, to set free, to deliver. He, God wants to do something here at this time and in this place. And when he comes again, will we still have the faith to believe that he is the source? And will we still be going to the throne room of grace asking for him to meet our needs? Will we be still looking to the Father of lights to get wisdom and understanding? Or will we have settled into our own sense of self-importance and reached our own sense of understanding? Why do we do the things we do? There's a very good reason why we do it, because Jesus wants us to. Acknowledge he's the father of this place. He's your heavenly father. And he's here with you now. He's here right now today to minister to your needs. And you might think you're only small. And we might be a small little fellowship. But that doesn't make us small in God's eyes. God loves us. And he's happy to be here with us. To help us. So this church was not just a faith-filled church, a praying church, a church that saw God. It was a loving church. Love in a church influences. It influ- Palu is here. I mean, you know what Palu really wants? He wants some love. Palu, you are lonely. You have come to Australia and you are lonely, alone. Where's you? For how long? A long time. Three years. He's alone, looking, searching. Where from? Where you come from? Thailand. I like it. It's a new, a new flavor in our fellowship. We've got Filipinos. Now we have Thailand here. We have Africa, a number of nations from Africa. We've got uh, Barbados. We've got English. We've got South African. We have a lot of different nationalities. There's some old Scots here. This, this uh, French, Dutch, Indonesian. Well, well I'm quite happy. I'm, I think we've got Thai here now too. Can you cook? Oh, right, we have Thai cooking. Watch out. (laughs) Love influences people, especially those who have not had love in their lives because we're all looking for love. Most of us are looking in the wrong places, but we're all looking for love because we're looking for God and God is love. 
So love in the church influences, and Paul was excited by the love that they had for all the saints. So this is an exclusivity, inclusivity. You know, it's, love is okay if it's, I love you because you hang with me, you know, you want me, you know, you want like I can love Ben, he's real easy to love because he is Western, so he knows just as I think. He's Caucasian, that means he's a white man. So he's like me, he's white. He's married to a beautiful woman. So am I. Do we have something in common? He has wonderful kids. So do I. We have lots of things. It's easy to love this man. You know why it's easy to love this man? Stand up, Ben. He's, he's like me. Oh, we love each other. You know why we love each other? Because we are like it. However, it's a different wrinkle now. This is Mama Esther. Now, Mama Esther comes from Africa. She is beautiful, but we are so different. I'm a man, and she is a beautiful woman. I am only three children, but she has many children. She comes from a different culture to me. I don't even know whether I'm allowed to hold her hand. I hope I am. Is it okay for me to hold your hand? Yeah. It's, gonna, it's okay. I thought if it's not culturally right, I'll be in trouble. But I thought I'll hold on to that. It's nice to hold her hand. I, I can be here with her and it's more difficult for her to love me and for me to love her because we are so different. And because of our differences, we have to overcome all of those challenges to that love, to love. I love you very much, Mama Esther. I honor you today. But that love comes through great price. You have, she has to tolerate a lot of my Australianness. She doesn't understand. She has to learn to understand me. And I have to learn to understand her. So the love has to abound still more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So I can discern what is best and be pure and blameless until the coming of Jesus. That's what Paul says to the Philippians. That your love abounds still more and more. So when it becomes difficult to love, we have to grow stronger in love. To love each other better. Do you understand that? Thank you. Now listen. This church that Paul was talking to in Ephesus abounded in his love for each other. So much so that everybody was talking about this church and saying, you ought to go to that church. They love each other in that church. Boy, they have love for all the saints. Boy, they're really looking after each other in that church. I mean, if you want to go to a church where it's loving, you want to go to that church at Ephesus. You go into, when you come to Ephesus, it's a, it's, you, you land into the port there and there's this great big wide street, 35 feet wide with columns up each side. It's majestic. And as you go down this thing, this, this is a, an awe-inspiring city that you're entering into. And there's this church in the city which is awe-inspiring. Now there's lots of different pagan religions all around the place. One of them has, has a, a temple that's huge and it's got gold and jewels all around its pillars. The, the, the um, well, it doesn't matter, but that was there. They, they, they were there, hey, the Parthian. The Temple of Diana, that's the one. It just slipped my, my, my memory. Temple of Diana. It was there, it was gorgeous. But this, this church 
didn't have columns because there was no church building. It didn't have jewels embedded into gold that was beaten around the sides of the columns because there was no columns and jewels. These people had sold or burned all of their pagan stuff. This church had a whole lot of godly jewels and a whole lot of godly character that was golden and that was the jewels that they had. And it was known as the church of love. Which one would you want to join? A church where you were loved? Or a church that was fancy but empty? Where would you like to live? Your life influences other people. That love abounds. And we're told it helps us to love better so that we can be pure and blameless before the coming of the Lord. We can reflect his righteousness in our lives. So love reflects the rightness of God amongst us. Unlove then does something other than that. Now listen to me, friends. If the devil wants to destroy something in this church, he knows exactly how to do it. All he needs to do is turn one heart against another heart. That's all he has to do. Take away a little bit of the love. Put some poison in there. And he'll take you all apart, limb by limb. He'll cut you, hack your toe off in front of everybody. And everybody will be screaming because of the horror of it all. And the place will fall apart around their ears. Why? Because there's no love in the place. You can have all your right doctrine. But if your right doctrine isn't supported by right attitude and right love, it's pointless. They've both got to be there, faith and love. So where there's a loss of love, there's a loss of witness. What causes the loss of love and therefore the loss of witness? Let's have a look at some of the ideas that cause a loss of love. Factors that reduce love. Envy, selfish ambition. Envy and selfish ambition. Well, that's our society. Everything in our society is point to separate. How is this so? It's systemic. What I mean by systemic? Systemic means that it runs through the whole system of society. Everything that you deem as being worthy to watch has at its core selfish ambition and envy. Well, take anything. Who watches Master Chef? Okay. You watch Master Chef. You've got Master Chef for adults and you've got Master Chef for children. You've got Master Chef. Basically, what it's saying is someone's going to be the winner here. Someone's going to, com- they're going to compete against each other. So we're looking for the best chef here. We're looking for the one who can do it the best here. That's what the whole thing is about finding the best chef because we're going to put that person in a restaurant and we're going to make their name great. So everybody starts to get competitive. Everybody starts to try and do the very best they can. And there are always losers. In fact, most of the people that are going through those things are losers. They're losers because they can't win. There's only one winner. And the whole of the system looks for that one winner. Everybody else has got to compete with that one winner. You know, you think about that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Well, that would just mean that you can't do anything with a competitive nature in it. That would be right. Because the devil doesn't play fair. He takes everything that's sort of common, like, you know, want to sing a song? Why don't you go on to... Australians Got Talent or 
Australian Idol or any other of those nonsense shows which show the singing people. Now listen to me. Let me, let me, people are deluded, completely deluded, deceived to think that they can sing. If you watch any shorts, you can go to the YouTube and you can see the, the 10 or the 20 or the 50 or the 100 most terrible auditions of these people. They stand up there and they say, us to sing. You know, want me to sing for you right now? Do you want me to show you my effect of singing? Now, if I thought that I was a good singer, I'd sit there and I'd sing, Twinkle, twinkle, little star. And you all go, oh, bath, vomit, vomit, vomit. He can't sing. But if I'd been told all my life by somebody else that I could sing, and if I'd been deceived into thinking that I had a voice, when I stood there and sang, twinkle, twinkle, little star, I would be thinking that I'm doing the fantastic. What number do you reckon that is? Number 10. I reckon that's a number 10. I reckon I could win with that one. You know what? I am deluded. You only have to be a judge on the idea and you can know Look, the, he's gotten, it's terrible, he can't sing. And the, and the judge says, he, it's terrible, it's the worst I've ever heard. And this person then turns around and says, what? You are so mean, you're so unkind, so cruel. Why? Because I'm deceived. This world is deceived because we've been sucking on this thing for so long. The devil's primed the pump so well in the West. Everybody's competing against everybody else. Everybody's got a greater understanding of themselves than they really should have. Everybody thinks they're better at something than they really should. They think they are the best. Really, truly, I am. I am the best. Really, truly, I am the best. And everything that they get involved with, Facebook, you've got ticks at the bottom, likes and dislikes. And what does that tell you? Well, if you get a lot of ticks, likes, it means that you're awarded, are rewarded by the population that's following you and saying, well, you know what, you're the star. Everybody can see those ticks and everybody knows how many ticks. I'll put a photograph up and I'll get no ticks. You put a photograph up and you get 50,000 ticks. Well, you must be better than me, hey? And let's all now get envious and let's all have selfish ambition striving around in our lives. Let's all get upset now. Let's all get really sad in the mouth because someone is better than I am. Now listen to me. The devil's been playing you like this as fools for years. You suck it up because it's you suck it up and you drink it up because that's what this world is all about. You don't even think about it. The fact that in behind it is producing envy and selfish ambition. And the devil knows if he can produce envy and selfish ambition, he'll destroy you and take you to hell. This is what it says. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts and do not boast about it or deny the truth, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. That's an illustration of what's happening in our world today. Listen to me, young people. Don't drink that nonsense up. If you look to be praised by men, you won't get the praises of God. You've got to stand up strong and say, I'm going to be different and I don't care whether you like me or you don't like me I'm going to do what God wants me to do Amen? Amen oh seriously I'm fighting for your life here that's what it feels like on the inside of me I am fighting for your spiritual life here because I know the devil has a plan for you which is horrid and disgusting and he is not going to play fair he will feed a poison lolly to a baby He will feed a baby poison milk. He will not play fair. And if he thinks that he can get a little bit, he will take a whole lot. 
And in the end of the exercise, you'll be damned because of it. You have to choose your influence. Are you going to make an influence or are you going to be influenced by them? Are you going to stand up and be something or are you going to be pushed down and squalid by every, every other person around you who says, the way the world is thinking, that's the way it is. Narcissism, that's what it's called. Narcissism, self-love. Came in in the 70s. Self-esteem, you've got to have a good self-esteem. What other nonsense? What other rubbish? You have to have no good self-esteem. You have to have a good esteem in Jesus. That's what you have to have. You have to believe what Jesus has done for you and stand in his position and what he's done for you. That's your esteem. What Jesus thinks of me, that's what it is. Don't tell me that you need to think good about yourself. You need to think that you're a sinner and you need saving by God's grace. That's what you need. You don't need to start saying, well, I'm pretty good in myself. I don't want to hear how good you think you are. I want to hear what God's saying about you. The testimony of God means a whole lot more than what you're telling me about yourself. It's in here. It's in me. God, he's calling out to you. He's screaming at you. He's saying to you, don't let the world influence you. You influence the world. Choose your influence today. Bad speech is an influence. It's how we reduce our love. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and uh, have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. Everybody grab your tongue. I'm serious. Grab your tongue. Hang on to it now. You see it won't be tamed will it? Grab that tongue and control it. Just hang on to that tongue and don't let it go. You know, eventually you've got to pull that tongue back into your head. It won't be controlled. You can't control that tongue. It's a restless and evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men with whom we made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brother, he says, this should never be. Okay, you can let your tongue go now, for those who are very controlled. This comes... Before he talks about the envy and the bitterness. It's almost like he sums up the envy and the bitterness. You know, you can, all you need to do is listen to what people are saying. Then you can get a picture of where they are. Right, well, your words count for something. When you speak. So, what am I hear you saying? Do you praise God on Sunday and worship him? He's lovely, he's wonderful, our Lord Jesus. When you look at you, don't go near him, he smells. She, she's always, he's always doing that. There, we, them. Now, what, what is God building here? The, the, the thing that can destroy this place is when we all start thinking we're on little paddocks and we start shooting at people across the fence. Hey, stop, this is a glass house, and stop throwing stones. If you throw stones in the glass house, you're going to break something. Stop it. Realize that your life and your speech has an influence. And you might not think that it's important, but when you say, you know what? 
This is what I think. And I'm not wrong because so many people agree with me. Your words have just sent a message out and have made an influence. And probably not for good, for evil. Consider how you speak. Let your words be with grace, this word, the word of God says. Seasoned with salt. Carefully spoken, carefully chosen words. That you may present those words to God like apples of gold and settings of silver. Perfect, beautiful words in the right place, in the right setting. You know, we're so quick with our mouth, aren't we? Well, we just give a little bit of an idea, a little bit of a thought about something, and it just tumbles around in our head, you know. And then somebody from the fellowship comes up, and Ben comes up and says, Well, you know what I reckon, Ben? And off it goes. And Ben says, You know what Mark said? And all of a sudden, it's all running around the church. And everybody's. And all of a sudden, the church goes. Blows itself to bits. Why? Because a little rumour got out about something. And off they went and they just run their mouths off because they don't think before they speak and they don't love well. They don't love well. They think right and wrong. They think doctrine and ideas, but they don't love well. I know it's because the Word of God says, I don't care what you think the Word of God says. Let every man think what he wants to think. If it's not life and death issues, you just let him alone. Stop your... It just makes an influence in the place which is not healthy, healthy and not holy and not good in God. Watch your mouth. Bad words produce bad results. And cause bad effects in the body of Christ. And this place will become known as a place where gossip abounds. Not the gospel abounds. And that might not be important to you. But it surely is important to me. And it surely is important to God. And it causes my life grief as it causes God's grief. Listen to me today. Listen to me. Let faith and let love be our strong, supporting, foundational stones here. <sighs> you know, this is exhausting. This is exhausting for me. Bible says that where the lawlessness abounds, he says the love of most grow cold. And so this is another thing that reduces love in a lawlessness. Lawlessness is no boundaries, Rachel. It means that there are no boundaries. You can do whatever you like. Now most parents in society today get tired of struggling with their teenagers because the teenagers grow up and say, well, I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to do what you want to do. Why do I have to do what you have to do? You know, I have rights. I'm a child. I have rights. You can't tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. That's what they say. So most parents run into that nonsense because they get taught that at school. Most parents run into that nonsense and then they get tired of battling with their child. Mum says, I don't want you to do this. Or dad says, I don't want you to go there. Uh, you know, you can't do that. And as soon as they start saying that, of course the child starts saying, well, you can't do that. And the hand goes on the hip like a little teapot. They come out like that and they start pointing in the... Man, that just wants to excite something inside of me when I see that. But that's what they start doing. And they start shooting their mouths off and start talking. Why? Because in the world, there are no boundaries. It means you can do whatever you like. 
You know what? We have to give freedom to our children. Don't discipline them. Don't tell them what to do. Don't put boundaries, safe boundaries. Let them run free so that they can run and be and experience whatever they like. He wants to go and play in the rain, yes. He wants to take his little board down to the drain, yes. Let him be free. Let him do what he wants. He wants to play in the water that's running down the drain. That's okay, isn't it? It won't hurt him, will it? He can play there. That's fine. Why don't you go and play with the trains on the train station? Why don't you just run on the freeway and play with the semi-trailers? It's exciting. In and out of the traffic. See who can last the longest. No boundaries. And you know, love disappears when there's no boundaries. Because if you love somebody, you put a boundary around them. You put a boundary around them to control them. You care what happens to them. It was because of the love of God that he puts boundaries around us to control us, to supervise us, to monitor what we're doing. It's his love that provides those boundaries. You take the love away, you take the boundaries away, you take the love away. You have to care less. So play with the trains. I don't care. I don't love you enough to stop you. Off you go. Where lawlessness abounds, love dissipates, falls away. So if you think there's rules here in this place, if you think there's some boundaries, you know, you want to thank God that he loves you, that he's placed you in a place that has boundaries, that has rules, that's good for you. It's where those are that there is love, where they're taken away. You have to care less because it's going to kill you in the end. Mark this, and we've said it before, there are terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud. Well, money, that's it, isn't it? I mean, it's the money. As long as you can have more of it, hey? You know what? God may bless you and give you so much you don't know what to do with it. Then you'll discover that money isn't the issue at all. It's your heart. I know people who've had nothing and then they get so much they don't know what to do with it. And that having so much to know, they don't know what to do with it. There's so much they don't know what to do with it. You know, there's so much they don't know what to do with it. And the problem is that so much is accountable before God because God gives it to you. You better know what to do with it once he gives it to you because if you don't do it, it's a judgment against you. Whoa, well, just give me enough. Don't give me too much that I don't know what to do with. Just give me enough because if you give me so much and there's a whole lot of responsibility there because every penny that I spend is going to be looking and watching and engaging. You got the rich you have among you come under sterner judgment. Money. Oh, love of money is boastful, proud. You're boastful. I'm the best. Really, truly, I am. Ask people on Facebook. I am. I'm the best. Yeah, look how many likes. How many likes did you get? For that sermon. No, I got the most. It was me. Listen, this is our society. This is what our society, and the devil has fed you a poison lolly, and you better get detoxed pretty quick. You got poison in your system because you think that that's okay. You think that you can do that. It's just a game. It's just playing. It's just funny. It's not funny. It's not game. It's not a game that you play. It's demonic. It's of this world, and it will take you down the gurgler. It would take you to hell. 
Ungrateful parents, ungrateful and holy, without love, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of... I wanted to learn these verses off by heart, but there's too many bad things in them. I couldn't remember them all. I tried really hard to remember all that list. I thought, oh, this is so depressing. I can't, this is just so horrible. This is society. It's having a form of godliness, but that's in the church. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. He says, have nothing to do with them. I can choose my influence, friends. You can choose yours. You can be faithless, or you can be faithful. You can be selfish, or you can be self-loving. You can bring heaven on earth. Your influence can bring heaven to earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can bring heaven to earth by your life. Do you know that? This can be a place where God dwells. God dwells here. And who brings that here? God doesn't force himself on anybody. You welcome him here by your presence and by your influence. You can bring heaven on earth. This can be a place where God meets with his people that's your choice. First Corinthians 13 verse 8. He tells us about things that remain. Now, this is the love chapter, I know, and it's stuck between the gifts chapter and the church functioning chapter. So the first chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter, 13, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, talks about all the gifts that are in the body, all the way that the body is so gifted, yeah. Then in, in chapter 13, it talks about the love, which is the motivation for the operation of those gifts. And then in chapter 14, it talks about the operation of the church, as in this is the way the church should function, or should run. We try to do it that way. That's why people get up and share here. Why do, we, why do we let people get up and share here? Because the scripture says that's the sort of model that we want to follow. That makes things a little bit interesting, doesn't it? But listen, it's important that we follow the model that Jesus gives us in the book. So in verse 13, chapter 13, it says in verses 18, Love never fails. He says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, and who is the perfect one? See, when Jesus comes, the imperfect disappears. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things or put them behind me. Now I see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. So I can only see a little bit what it's going to be like heaven on earth, he says. He says, then we shall see him face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, just even as I am known. So he said, we're looking for that time where we're going to be with Jesus and we'll see it clearly. He says, and now these three, 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 and now these three things remain. He says, now, this time, right now, he says, he's talking about heaven. And then he comes back into earth and he says, these three things remain here. Faith, hope, and love. Well, they can start here on earth and they'll continue right through to heaven. You can start here having your faith in God and believing in God and being a people of noise, the broad of those who believe in Jesus and have confidence in his ability, who live in the dynamic of love and love one another and are selfless and inclusive of others who are different in different races and different people of all kinds. We can be inclusive there. And we have a hope that it, that can start here and now, right here and now. And when Jesus comes back, it will still be there. We can bring heaven because they are eternal qualities. 
You want to bring heaven on earth? Listen, listen to me. Work on your faith, work on your love. That will bring heaven to earth here, right now. And have a hope that we as a fellowship can make a difference in this world and bring the light of God's glory to the world out there. Have that hope inside of you, that Jesus is inside of speaking and calling out to the world to be reconciled to God. Have that hope. Because they are eternal qualities. You can bring heaven to earth right now. You know the sad thing? We get a glimpse of the Ephesus church in the book of Revelation. And this church was such abounding, the church and abounding in love. John writes to the church and he says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among golden, seven golden stand, lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and have found them false. So they were good with regard to their faith. They were, their faith was not just accompanied by empty words. They were good with their faith. They were good in their doctrine. They tested those who were not apostles and they found them to be false. They were good with their faith. They were good with their faith and their belief. He commends them for it. Listen to me. You have persevered and endured hardship for my name's sake and have grown, not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. Now this isn't, what he says now is not referring to Jesus. It's referring to their love for each other because he talks about the, ones, the love of, loss of love in Laodicea and they didn't love God. They've gone lukewarm to God. He says, you've forsaken your first love. What was the first love? It was the first love that... Paul was talking about their love for all the saints. They had this thing, he said, walk in love, live in love. He said, this church was a, this was a pinnacle of love. Everybody knew that this was a loving church. And this church lost that. So much so that when John was speaking by Jesus, he said to John, Jesus said to John, John, tell him, repent and remember. Do the things that you did at first. And what was the things that they did at first? They loved each other. That was the noise. That was the influence. That was the light that shone in the dark. They had, Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And if you love one another, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want to tell you that this church, even though it heard that, it was a great church, it lost it. You have to pay special attention not to lose this. The devil will steal it from you. He will come and sneak in the back door and say, let me take it off you. You once had a lovely love that was inclusive, embraced people of all nations and all kinds, of all tribes and all peoples. You put your arms around the high and the low. You loved them all just the same. You, I was so pleased with you that you loved them like that. And you know what? You became stuck up. You became too big for your own boots. Your doctrine was too smart. You started to become too smart and you lost the love. And God says to them, get the love back. Get the love back. Now, I can't do that for you. I can ring the bell here. Bang, 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 bang. Play the drum. Boom, 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 boom. Every Sunday, come along, mass, bashing the same old thing. Boom, boom, boom. Love one another. Love one another. 
Well, she said, what's the loving thing to do when she said, Elliot, you forgive her. And you love one another. Well, I can't see why they stand as true. Well, is it a life or death issue? Well, I'd rather point out the fault. Listen, I'm not caring about your pointing out. I want you to love that person in spite of what you think. I'm not asking you to change your opinion. I'm not asking you to change the other person's opinion. If it's not a life and death issue, leave her alone and love her like Jesus would have you love her. Boom. 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 Love one another. Boom. 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 Two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Then, boom, boom, boom. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Love. If you don't love, you lose your testimony. If you don't love, you lose your light. I'll take the lampstand out from amongst you if you don't love. You'll be here having church with yourself without love. Jesus won't even come in the door without love because Jesus is love. Get your faith right, yes. Get your doctrine right, yes. Hold it strong, yes. Be a a church of faith and of good doctrine, yes. But be a compassionate, a merciful, a loving, a a church that just breaks its heart for the other person. Be there, go out there and reach out to those who who are less fortunate than yourself and even those who are higher than yourself sometimes they need loving as well are you listening to me this has been a hard one for me to preach because it's it's in the core of me i know you know why it's in the core of me because i know this is a problem in this church right now the devil's finding a little edge he's finding a little wedge he says i can get them i'll get them talking and biting and fighting each other bing bing Bing. And he starts to knock it in. And you just bing. And no one's going to tell you to stop, are they? Wrong. I'm telling you, stop it now. Stop the nonsense. Daddy Mark says, stop the nonsense. Daddy God says, love one another. Listen to me. We could lose the lamp influence. The light influence. Is that important to you? Well, it's certainly important to me. I don't want to be a city on the hill that has no light in it. I want to be a light on the hill, a city of the living God. That's what I want. Now, what do you want? What do you want to be part of? Church, what do you want to be part of? You want to play this game with me? I'm going to tell you what I really think (laughs) because you don't pay me. (laughs) Listen to me. You have to walk this one. You can't just think this one. You have to live this out every day. You have to eat it and you have to ingest it and it has to work out in your life so that you make choices of how you will influence. You have to choose your influence. This week, Some of you, the first place you'll go is to the Facebook because you're addicted.
Listen. Start making choices for yourself. Think about what you're doing. And ask yourself this question. How will this make the fellowship stronger? How will this be good for Ben? How will it encourage him? And think outside of yourself. And think into what God would have us to do together as a fellowship. Amen? Let's stand up, shall we? Now, it's been a very hot and muggy day. It's been long, and I know, but I think that the message is important. I want you to bow your heads now. Father, I just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'll take this word and graft it into the hearts and the lives of these people. Lord, I ask that each one, Lord Jesus, from the smallest to the, to the eldest, Father, would start to grasp the immense importance we have, Lord Jesus, to choose our influence today. Lord, we ask that you would cause us to be an influence of love and of faith. Lord, and our lives would be joined together in a hope, O oh God, that even in the last days, there will be those who stand firm to the end, and we will be part of those who stand firm to the end, Lord Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would just bless each person by your Holy Spirit's grace. Give them the ability today, right now, to see and to identify the things that are in their lives that are not of you, Father. Give them the wisdom to decide what to stop and what to start. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen.